2: happy holidays from
0: amari christian skyler caitlin jordan antonio eddie
2: and the
3: tom sumner program
2: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great one in store uh, for today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk about some drug-free techniques for overcoming anxiety and depression with uh, Dr. David Burns. And uh, in the second hour, we're going to talk about some things about Alzheimer's that uh, is really kind of breaking news about uh, whether or not the brain can uh, uh, heal brain cells and and some steps that can be taken to mitigate the disease um, and the effects of the disease from Dr. Timothy Smith. He'll be joining us during the second hour of our three hour tour. But up first, at 91 years young, Sylvia Anthony has no plans to sit idle on the couch. She founded Sylvia's Haven back in 1987. It's still going strong, as told in her sort of quasi-narrative memoir, I guess you would call it, um, Till the End of Time. And uh, She's a fascinating lady and, and fun to talk to so that's coming up in just a couple of minutes but i did want to take this opportunity since this is the week of christmas to let you know about some special shows we have coming up Uh, of course wednesday we'll have armchair politics as we always do but thursday christmas eve it's all christmas music we're going to repeat the show we did on thanksgiving to kick off the holiday season and of course our christmas music is better than everybody else's because it's local So let us be your uh, soundtrack for uh, Christmas Eve. Then Christmas Day, we're going to look back at some uh, high-profile people who passed away in 2020. Um, First, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and uh, that's a conversation that I have with uh, Brendan Beery, our go-to guy on all things relating to the Supreme Court and the Constitution. And then... um, A couple of people that were favorite guests of mine on the show who passed away in 2020, Mary Higgins Clark and Carl Reiner. That's Christmas Day and uh, very, very interesting uh, discussions and conversations coming up Christmas Day this Friday. So um, up next, Sylvia Anthony. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, my guest this hour is 91 years young, but remains steadfastly involved with her passion project, Sylvia's Haven, a Boston-area shelter for homeless women and children that she launched in 1987. Um, her uh, new book, Till the End of Time, is... Um, in, in that book, she shares her remarkable story of tragedy and triumph and how she uh, began her uh, philanthropy. We'll, we'll talk about all of that with my guest, Sylvia Anthony, who joins me by phone. Sylvia, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here.
2: Well, I uh, I hope I got everything at least sort of right in the uh, introduction there, but um with all the work that you do with Sylvia's Haven and the plans that, that you'd like to um, implement, uh, launching a Sylvia's Haven in all 50 states, um, how did you find time to write a book?
0: Oh, I started that book uh, back in, uh, I started it in the year 2000, and I kept writing it for two years i did the bulk of it in two years time but at the time it was an autobiography and this was the book first book i had ever written and i was uncomfortable with it because i didn't want to say i did this and i did that so right. i benched it for seven years then finally in my office my assistant asked me one time if he could have a friend come down to help him with the computer. So I said, sure. Well, the man was a college graduate, and you could see that he was smart. And after he was working with him for a few weeks, he started seeing what I was doing. So he turned around me and he said, you know, Sylvia, you should write a book. I said, <laughs> I did. And he looked at me kind of shocked. I said, the only thing is I don't want it in uh, as an autobiography. I want it in third-person form. Do you want to do it for me? He says, well... I'll have to talk to my wife. Well, normally, he, when he came and left, he wouldn't come back for another week or two. He was back in two days. Still my wife says I should do it. <laughs> and I said, fine. So he did put it in third-person form. At first, neither he nor I didn't knew where to go to have it published. So at first he he heard that Arthur House was having a meeting there, a a show in Boston. He said, let's go see. So I went. Arthur House was terrible. Hmm. But anyway, I got it. What he did do, though, is I wanted it called till the end of time. He took the liberty of calling it Sylvia's Haven. That's the name of my shelter. I really didn't want that. And at the, in the front of the book then, there was a picture of just the house that the girls were living in. And it was really not very attractive. Well, anyway, we had did it. And four months later, I decided I wanted to up it, upgrade it and revise it to the next four years. And I did that. And this time, I did it myself, just following how he did it. And I got that done. Four years later, I did it again. Now we're up to two thousand and fifteen. This time, I got a pub, uh, uh, a man who published the book, and um, he put it. He launched it on Amazon. When he launched it on Amazon, by the way, I changed the title right away to Till the End of Time, <laughs> and I put the picture of myself when I got married at eighteen and a half years old in my wedding gown. On the front cover. Sylvia. When he launched it, it hit number one in four categories.
2: Wow. What you said.
0: You know Joel Oldstein? Have you ever heard of him? Yeah. He was number five that day.
2: (laughs) Sylvia, you said the book was. It, it started out as kind of an autobiography and you weren't comfortable with I did this and I did that. What kind of a book is it now if it's not a, a, an autobiography?
0: I'm going to revise it again. I'm in the process now to bring it up to 2020, the day before my 91st birthday. And at this time, I'm pushing it back to a bi- an autobiography. I'm already doing it. I'm already all the way up to 2018. But because the, now I feel very comfortable doing it.
2: Well, the, the book that's out now, Till the End of Time, would you say it's... it's Is it still kind of a memoir?
0: Well, in a sense, yeah. It, it is a, it's, a, it's written in third-person form, even though I did it, you know, from then on. But... Um, it It starts when I was conceived and ends in two thousand and fifteen, the one you'll have if you have it
2: right the um well let me let me get inside the book and inside your story a little bit. What prompted you back in nineteen eighty seven to open a shelter for women and children?
0: Well. I had been married this time for the second time. I got married at 18 and a half years old, which was very, very stupid on the rebound.
2: You know what? We, we jumped right over. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned when you were born and,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and didn't mention the famous street you were born on.
0: Ah, the very famous street that I was <laughs> born in, in the house, was number three, Sumner Place.
2: Well, I think that's a wonderful coincidence. Um, but but getting back to uh, 1987 um, and uh, Sylvia's Haven, what what made you want to start that?
0: Well, like I said, I I had gotten a divorce, and ten years later, I didn't get married for ten years. Ten years later, I went to get a new job because now I'm I'm supporting my kids myself, and I'm not being truthful to. I mean what would you say, um, faithful to any one job. I needed to make as much money as possible. So I would work someplace for two years, look for a better job all the time so that I could get as much money as possible because back in nineteen sixteen, fifty $50 was supposed to be a good week's pay. And I had a mortgage and three kids to, to go to. So anyway, I went looking for a job and I saw on the, the telephone book that it said, Triple Double M Executive Placement Service, and I was doing accounting at the time. So I decided to go over there. When I went, I got this young kid, and he was 20 years old, and this time I'm 40 years old almost. And he, to him, I was an old lady. He brings it over to his boss, and he says to his boss, what can we do with this person? Can we do anything with, with this person is what he said. And the man listening to me said, I can think of four or five places that I can place her immediately. So he came over and gave me an interview. And he got me a job with 26 lawyers as an accountant in the law firm. He became my husband. Did you hear me? I did. All right. So now I'm, my kids are grown up. I'm married again. But now I don't have kids to raise anymore. And I had this empty feeling inside of me. I think it was God. And it kept coming in my head, I want to, sh- uh, to have a shelter, a shelter. They didn't say what kind, just a shelter, or at least I didn't know. And I told my husband, and unlike most men, he didn't say you're crazy. He, he just kind of, you know, supported me. Well, he got cancer after 17, uh, 15 years of our marriage. And he was sick for two and a half years after that. And he became very, very religious. And one time he was lying down in bed when he was terminally ill. And uh, he saw Jerry Falwell on the screen. Jerry Falwell was was talking. And he called me. I was washing the breakfast dishes at the time. Sylvia, Sylvia, come here. So I went in and I, he said, look at that screen. So I looked and Jerry Falwell was saying that there are two million babies being aborted each year that he had a shelter for homeless pregnant girls so that they wouldn't abort their baby. And now he's getting up in age and he wants it to keep on going like I do. And he said, I put together what I call a save a baby syllabus. He says, I will give it, it is a manual to tell you how to teach you how I am running my shelter. He says, I'll give it to you free of charge if you're interested. And I said, that's what I want. So sick as he was, and he went to college and he he majored in marketing, advertising, and public relations, he got on the phone and he started networking in the pro-life movement. He got me a lawyer free of charge to do my articles of incorporation. He incorporated it with the state of Massachusetts, and he started the nonprofit status. And it was like he was put to Boston just for this reason, because he was new here, he came from the Midwest, and after he did all that, he went back to wherever he came from. I don't even remember his name.
2: More with the founder of Sylvia's Haven in the Boston area, and the author of a, a kind of a memoir, if you will, called Till the End of Time. More with Sylvia Anthony straight ahead. Hello, out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-U-R.
4: That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Thunder program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
0: Remember, your voice matters.
4: Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock Jingle bell swing and jingle bell ring Snowin and blowin' up bushes of fun Now the jingle hop has begun Jingle, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock Jingle bell chime and jingle bell time in and prancin' in Jingle Bell Square In the frosty, frosty air Time to ride the night away. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Bell, jingle bells to go gliding in a one horse sleigh. Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet. Jingle around the clock. Mix and mingle in a jingle and beat. As the jingle bell rock. jingle, jingle, jingle. Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet. Jingle around the clock Mix and mingle in a jingling beat That's the jingle and Jingle Bell Rock Jing, jing, Jingle Bell Rock One more time Come on and get it up g- Jingle horse, pick up your feet And jingle around the clock Mix and jingle in a jingling beat Jingle in jingle bell ride jing jing jingle bell ride
2: Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Harper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis.
1: Hi, this is Rochelle Ray.
3: Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office.
1: I'm Gwen Pennyman Hempel. Buddy
3: The Tom
2: Sumner program celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. From
3: Alicia,
5: Elena, Gabriella, Erica.
2: And the Tom Sumner
0: Program.
2: Christmas 2020 may be very different than holidays of old. Christmas Eve on the Tom Sumner Program can bring back some treasured memories with an encore of our Thanksgiving 2020 show featuring all holiday music. And our Christmas music is better than everybody else's because it's local. Let the Tom Sumner Program be your Christmas Eve soundtrack streaming from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com repeating online all day and night. Simulcast on WFOV 92.1. FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. Happy Holidays from the Tom Sumner Program.
4: We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Show.
2: More with the founder of Sylvia's Haven in the Boston area and the author of a, a kind of a memoir, if you will, called Till the End of Time. More with Sylvia Anthony straight ahead.
0: When Rick was dying, the last two sentences he said was, go get the girls and don't worry, I'll always take care of you. Wow. So about a week uh, so uh, no, a month later, for a month, I just had a pity party. I I was always feeling sorry for poor me. But then <laughs> I got hold of myself, and he, I said, Sylvia. He said, Go get the girls. So there was one place we we went to see, and the place was called Pregnancy Health. This is a Catholic organization, but all it did was take pregnant girls to the saying, "I don't know what to do. I think I'll abort." And say, no, don't do that. I'll send you someplace where somebody will take care of you. So I went there, and I said, I'm ready to have a... Now, I'm in a rented apartment at this point. Two months later, they send me a girl. Her name, ironically enough, is Tracy Infantino. Mm. She's only 17 years old and pregnant. And I get a call from the woman, and she says to me, there's a young girl in a police station in Revere, Massachusetts. Her mother threw her out of the house and she's pregnant. She's not in the police station for anything bad. They're just holding her, trying to find a place for her to live. She says, will you take her? I said, yeah. So I went down there, I picked up the girl, and I brought her in my apartment. Within three months, I had four girls in my apartment. My landlady was furious. <laughs> I went back. She didn't say anything to me, but I would. she only lived next door to me in a one-family house. And this was a two-family uh, house that I was I living on the second floor. It was her own land. She built another house for herself. So when I went to pay her the money, and, and we were friends, she says, I rented this place for you and Rick. She says, I didn't rent you this place for those girls. And I was going to go on a trip to um, Israel. My husband had booked it before he died. And he says, I want to go to Israel, he says, and see where God lives, where Jesus actually lived." So he booked it, and he says, if I don't make it, he says, you go. So he died. It was incorporated in January 25th, uh, 1987. He died, died March 30th. 1987 and the trip was for oh the end of august so i told the landlady you know because we were friends and i was going out in august so she says to me in august when i went to pay the rent you got to get those girls out of here i don't want them here while, while you're away so she did me a favor i thought she did you know that it was terrible She made me get a place, and I rented homes from then on until one time the federal government um, found out what I was doing, and they had something called the McKinney Act, which stipulated that if an Army base or any base broke down in Potter and Full, X amount of space had to be be, uh, put aside for the homeless. So I get a letter from the federal government telling me this and with this big list of all these buildings that are going to be available. Then I read the thing, and they tell me about the McKinney Act, and they said, you can have anything you want for a dollar a year, if providing we accept your letter of intent and proposal. I called up my lawyer, and I read him the letter, and I said, and Ollie, it's for a dollar a year. He says, let's go for it. The end result was I became the Second largest in the country I picked 50 townhouses that the staff sergeants had the post chapel worth 18 million dollars on 20 and a half acres of land we had our own little community as a result to date I've had 1100 women and children and I'm still going
2: that is phenomenal and in June of this year um you were uh let's see where where is it in my notes here um you, you were inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame.
0: That's right. And three months after that, uh have you ever heard of Marquis Who's Who? Oh, of course. Well, they they sent gave me an award. They call it a lifetime achievement award. Three months later.
2: You know, these kinds of awards um you know, are given to people who have contributed significantly and been an inspiration to um, to all people but especially to the young women that have been through Sylvia's Haven Um, but I'm I'm curious Sylvia if if some of those women weren't maybe an inspiration to you
0: absolutely you know this this is work and you know it's hard work but let me tell you What you get here, the good far ways the bad. When you have a girl, since I've been in this for almost 34 years now, this January, when you have been going on this for 30, you see them grow up, some of them. Some of them keep in touch with you. I I had the pleasure a couple of years ago of, I think it's about three years now, of a girl who was born in my place, go to college, become a and go to law school, and she's now a lawyer. When she was graduating from law school, I got an invitation to go because she went in Boston. Uh, I got an invitation to go to her graduation. You want to know how I felt? I was thrilled. <laughs> I bet you I were. was thrilled. I absolutely was thrilled. And there was a woman next to me and she just looked at me and she says, Is this one of your grandchildren that's graduating? I says, No. She was born in my shelter and her face dropped a mile. I bet and then when I pointed her out, Oh my God, she said, She's beautiful I says, Yep. So and this goes on all the time. I've seen them become off uh managers of offices, or hairdressers. A boy was a pipe fitter. But they come from all over, but they don't they come back. I keep them for two years. I have a 98% success rate.
2: That's phenomenal. That's absolutely phenomenal. Does, it's wonderful. Does Does having young people, young mothers, and then, of course, their children, does that keep you young?
0: What's that?
2: Having all of those young people around a lot, does that keep you young?
0: Oh, absolutely. You can hear me. Do I sound like a 90-year-old woman?
2: No, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> in, in fact, I wish I had half the energy you have, Sylvia.
0: Well, i got to say one thing, too. There, there. It isn't only what I do that keeps me going. But when my husband died, I wanted to know what in the world you know, kills everybody so young. He was 61 years old, and I started studying nutrition. I've been studying nutrition for 33 years, and I came to the conclusion that of all of it, all of it really is the nutrition and how you... Take what you do with yourself. Of course, if you take drugs and you drink and you, you do all these things that are going to kill you, you're going to die anyway. But even then, today, the food isn't like it used to be when I was born. Everything then was organic, period.
2: <laughs> that's all there was. Now, you've
0: got to go crazy to try to get something that's organic. Most of the stuff is so filled up with chemicals and whatnot all over the place that you're not getting the nutrition that you should be getting from what God gave you. So you've got to put it back into your stomach. Right. They tell me where I go to get my vitamins, you know, most of the time if I say somebody, I'm 91, they say, what? But this girl looked at me and she says, seriously, so I'm not doing this to pat you on the back. She says, but you don't look a day over 70. And what do you want me to say? But I work, and I do my work, and I do everything, and I'm perfectly healthy, and I'm enjoying every bit of it. To me, my life is a blessing.
2: That That is absolutely wonderful. I would think that with the success you've had, Sylvia, have um, women or organizations come to Boston and, and want to meet with you and learn how to do what you've done?
0: No. No, I'm I surprised that. that
2: surprises me I would think a lot of people um, from other cities and other states would want to study what you've what you've done and accomplished
0: well you know what I find that it's very difficult in fact now that i I really think that God put it in my heart to have shelters in every state and even to do that people don't want the responsibility it seems. I, I don't understand it because I am the way I am. But I've had, I've put the word out more than once now, but of course I'm going to do it in a lot. I'm doing this for that particular reason, for one thing. Uh, usually they'll say, you know, I want to do that if they hear of it. But when you start telling them what it entails, yeah. suddenly the the the... the Whatever zest they had for it disappears, so now i'm working I'm looking for people that are like me that wanna do it they would be they would be rewarded millions and millions of times over again. They would love what they do, yeah, you have some bad ones in between, but I could count them on one hand how many have actually been bad, and every single one of them. It's because whatever their problem was was something that they were born with. And I can't change that.
2: Well, that's true. But yet I would think that there were probably some that were tremendously at risk for the same kind of outcome had it not been for your uh your your place, your haven. Mm.
0: Well, in the back of the book, there's a whole chapter just with all of the the letters and, and whatnot that I get from girls. A whole chapter. I could go, if I did want to send them all, I wrote them all out, we would have to have two volumes.
2: <laughs> well, maybe you can include some different ones in the next book.
0: Yeah, well, I will include more of them in the next book. I'll use those and more because it's been five years, so, so I will have more. So, so you, it,
2: you still seem pretty interested in this notion of of getting a Sylvia's Haven in every state. Um, are, are you pursuing that? How how would you go about that?
0: Well, first of all, naturally, I can't be with them all the time. But thanks God sure. for the communications today. You can do a lot, but. I would definitely meet with them first. I would give them my, my 501c3, their nonprofit status. They would have to call it Sylvia's Haven. But if they wanted, they could call it whatever they want and say it's a division of Sylvia's Haven. I would teach them, just like you said, don't they ever ask how you do it? I would teach them all the way. Like I say, I keep them for two years. I don't think there's any place around that keeps a girl for two years. But if you really want to make a a dent, it takes time. You can't undo anything in one day or one week or one month. And even with the two years, I find that they're on their feet, but they're not really uh, fabulously rich or, 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 you know, very comfortable. It takes them a good five years also to get to the point where they're independent and completely independent and very secure
2: i would imagine that you had to learn an awful lot and and probably did learn a lot as this thing continued to grow and expand um not the least of which would be fundraising
0: yes that that's a nice biggie yeah
2: i would think <laughs> But have you have you been able to get a lot of support from uh, foundations and philanthropic no, uh, organizations?
0: No. Uh, let me put it this way: When I was at Fort Devens, uh, we I had a mailing list of about five thousand, and at its peak, I was take grossing a half a million a year. But then the state come over because it was government property, and they wanted it. And one time they took a vote with the people in the area because Fort Devens, it was called Fort Devons, actually was acquired by the federal government before World War One, And they didn't buy it, they leased it. And they leased it in the middle of the state where it was very, well, there was no population at all then practically and they must have leased it for nothing but they made the the agreement that if they ever moved out they would get the land back so when i went in the people were supposed to get their land back that's when the states stepped in and said if you give it to us we'll put all you hurting people back to work because two of those towns really lived off the base so uh and they took a, uh, they left 48% of the base. So they took a vote, and because there were more people hurting than not, there was only one town called Harvard, and as it's called, you'd think, and it is, a very affluent town. But they were outnumbered, so the state took it over. Now, they couldn't throw me out because I was there already. But they vowed even then because now I had to have a lease with them that I'd be out in three months. I was there for nine years. So <laughs> for the last four years they we were in court. Not in in court in public, in trial court, but in, in in hearings because they didn't want people to know what was going on for four years till so they Because And then what they would do is say, it's not that we don't want a shelter, it's because we don't think she's qualified. They didn't say how, they just said we don't think she's qualified. As a result, it hurt me financially quite a bit. And finally, in order for them to get the place at all, they had to pay me off because they couldn't take it over any other way. But they gave me pittance, enough for one small house. So as a result now, I'm not as big as I was. But now I want to let everybody else do it. And I think that, I don't think it's me. I think God wants it that way. I think he's keeping me alive for that reason.
2: And, I mean, and Sylvia's keeper. Haven is uh, is in the Boston area.
0: It's in the eastern part of Massachusetts, primarily. They, when I was at Fort Devon, it was north-central Massachusetts. But it's surrounding towns near uh, near Boston. Don't forget now, when you're renting a place, for instance, and that's what I've been doing, uh, nobody, all the people in the area don't want a, a shelter in their area. Right. So it's very hard. You have to keep moving. I've been to Revere. I've been to Beverly. I've been to, uh, oh, you name it, Lowell. I've been all over the place. Every so often I have to move unless I could get enough money to get my own place, and I'd like to do that too. I would like to have enough money to have my own place and, like I say, for everybody else to have their own place. They can start out small like I did but if they do what they're doing they can be, reach my heights and better. The only one that beat me out before was Bill Gates.
2: <laughs> well, he had a little money to work with, Sylvia.
0: Yeah, more than I.
2: <laughs> more than most people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Sylvia so that's
4: Yeah.
2: This is a this is a, a fascinating story about your life and about the evolution of uh, Sylvia's Haven. The book is called Till the End of Time. My guest is Sylvia Anthony and uh, the founder, actually, of Sylvia's Haven, of course. Um, And and Sylvia, we're we're just about out of time. But I um, always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and about the book and about Sylvia's Haven. Do you have a website?
0: She, I don't have a website right now, but I am on the, in the internet. You can put my name in the internet anywhere or Sylvia's Haven and you'll get the whole information. My telephone number is 617-943-4794. And my, my, um, of course you could see it. If, if you Google, you will see me and you can get all the information you want. It's there.
2: And, and and the book the that, book of course is is available online, but probably where all books are sold.
0: Uh from what I can gather, they can get it mostly on uh, on Amazon. But they can get it; they can request it in any store, and they'll get it for you. They don't have it on the shelf, but they have they know of it, and they will order it for you. But they if they can also get to me. At 90 Mount Sylvia's Haven 90 Mount Vernon Street Winchester, Mass 01890 Put that up wherever you want Or whatever That's Sylvia's Haven 90 Mount Vernon Street Winchester, Mass 01890 And I will gladly send them a look i keep a stock at all time, and I would gladly send it to them.
2: Well, Sylvia, <laughs> all- I, I, I just have to say, with uh, Sylvia's haven and the book and all the work that you do with uh, young women and uh, unborn children and, and then the children when they come along, um, I, I, I'm just so appreciative that you were able to make some time to talk with me this morning.
0: I'm very glad that you had me. I'm, I'm very appreciative, and I thank you very, very much.
2: Well, take care, Sylvia. Happy holidays, and um, you too. best of luck with the book.
0: Okay, thank you very much, darling. God bless you. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye.
2: That was Sylvia Anthony, the author of Till the End of Time, 91 years old, and she's still going strong. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program right after. <music> Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. We
3: wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a
4: Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings to you wherever you are. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom under- hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Lifebuoy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Lifebuoy for hands and face as well as the bath.
2: A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. How do you
4: do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later.
5: (laughs) Happy Holidays! From Haley, Alex, Alexis, help.
2: And the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickersons. It's Christmas Eve, and the Bickersons have not retired. Mrs. Bickerson is busy wrapping presents in the bedroom while husband John, exhausted as he is from the pre-holiday activity, puts the finishing touches to the tree, which stands proudly in the kitchen, the only other room in the Bickerson's small apartment. Listen.
1: John? John? Will you bring the scissors, please? John! What is he doing in there? Oh no! How can a man fall asleep on a ladder? Oh, I haven't got the heart to wake him. Oh, I'd better get him off of there, John. John! What? Oh,
2: ow. what's the, what's the matter, Blanche? What happened, huh?
1: Oh, you poor dear! Did you hurt yourself?
2: No, uh, no, I'm all right. How did I fall off that ladder? I must have fainted.
1: Yes, dear, you were fainting like a log when I came out. Why, John. What? You never even touched your dinner. Not a morsel of it.
2: I don't like the looks of it, Blanche.
1: Oh, stop that talk. It's perfectly good food. You let it sit there on the kitchen table for hours getting cold. You want me to warm it up for you?
2: No, just tell me what's on that big plate.
1: Are you trying to be funny, John?
2: I'm not trying to be funny, Blanche. What is it?
1: You know very well I can only cook two things. Liver and rice pudding.
2: Well, which one is that?
1: How can you be so nasty on Christmas Eve, John?
2: Blanche, I just asked you a civil question, that's all. I didn't think it was liver because your liver always looks like rubber heels. That stuff looks more like scrambled eggs, so I thought it might be rice pudding.
1: Well, why don't you taste it and find out? I'm not hungry. That's why you're always tired, John. You don't eat enough.
2: I eat plenty.
1: Well, what did you have for lunch today?
2: Well, you ought to know. You packed it for me. And listen, Blanche, I'm getting sick of carrying my lunch to the office in paper sacks. Why can't I go to a restaurant like the other fellas?
1: John, what are you talking talking about. I haven't fixed your lunch for two years.
2: Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink.
1: Lunch? That's the kitchen scraps.
2: How do you like that? No wonder I never have an appetite. Why do you do that to me, Blanche?
1: Go on, eat some dinner and finish trimming the tree.
2: I don't want any dinner. I want to go to sleep.
1: Aren't you going to finish the tree?
2: I can do it in the morning.
1: But, John, tomorrow morning is Christmas Day. I expect a lot of people to drop in. The butcher's coming, and the milkman is coming, and the... Listen,
2: Blanche, I can't afford to give those guys presents. Why did you invite them over?
1: I didn't invite them. They're coming here to collect their bills.
2: Bills? What bills? I gave you money for the bills.
1: Well, I had to buy presents, didn't I? My sister Clara sent me a package, and I had to get her something in return.
2: No, you didn't. Nobody asked her to send you anything.
1: Well, she did just the same. So, I bought her a bottle of perfume.
2: How much was that?
1: Twenty-four dollars.
2: Twenty-four dollars? Why, nobody can carry that much perfume.
1: It was only an ounce, silly. It's the latest perfume. Very daring. It's called... Perhaps.
2: Perhaps. For $24, you should get positively.
1: Don't be so crabby, John. We're not going to fight on Christmas Eve, no matter what happens. Remember, you promised. Okay. I'm not even going to get mad because you didn't send me a Christmas card.
2: I did send you a Christmas card. It
1: isn't necessary to make excuses or alibis, John. I'm going to forget it entirely.
2: I don't have to make excuses. I did send you a Christmas card. I mailed it five days ago.
1: John, you you promised you wouldn't shout.
2: Well, then why are you goading me like this? You know I wouldn't say I sent you a Christmas card unless I had.
1: I never received it.
2: Well, then it got lost in the mail. <sighs> Thank heaven.
1: All the other cards came in.
2: That doesn't mean anything. One card can get lost, can't it?
1: If you sent it.
2: I did send it. I swear I sent it. Had a wonderful poem on it, a beautiful picture. It was trimmed with lace. Cost me a buck.
1: All right, John.
2: Well, you don't believe me?
1: Let's not discuss it anymore. Okay. But I hope you don't forget to send one next year.
2: (sighs) What's the use? All right, so I didn't send you a card.
1: That's all. Why didn't you just admit it before?
2: There was nothing to admit. I just said I didn't send it to end the argument, but I really sent it.
1: What did it say on it?
2: Um, it said, uh, Merry Christmas to my love.
1: That could be anybody.
2: Let me finish. It said, Merry Christmas to my love, my wife, my life, my turtle dove. Life with you is great, it seems. I love you more than pork and beans.
1: You're only adding insult to injury, John.
2: Well, how do I know what it said? I can't remember what... What's that laying on top of the newspaper? There it is. There's my card.
1: Oh, so it is. See? You didn't have to get so excited after all. Oh, thank you, darling. It's a
2: lovely card. Wear it in good health. Well, let's open the presents and then go to sleep.
1: Well, how could you, John? John? You know we never open presents until Christmas morning. Besides, you haven't finished trimming the tree.
2: All it needs is a string of lights. One of the bulbs is blown. That kills the whole string.
1: Well, can't you buy a bulb?
2: The stores aren't open now. What time is it?
1: Five past twelve.
2: Well, that's good. It's Christmas Day. Let's open presents.
1: You didn't even hang up your stocking.
2: I haven't got one that would hold anything. They look like lace curtains. Come on, let's open the presents, Blanche. Come on, huh?
1: Oh, all right.
2: Say we haven't got very many this year, have we? Oh, who's this from?
1: That's from Leo Gooseby. It's amazing how you went to the one shaped like a bottle.
2: Oh? Oh, is that what it is? I hope it's good stuff. Ah, mmm. That's not bad at all.
1: John, that's shampoo.
2: Shampoo? Why that chiseler, two-bit Leo? What do I want with a bottle of shampoo? And to think, I threw out 39 cents on a tie for him. What have you got there?
1: It's another present for you. Oh, it's from your boss.
2: No kidding. Gee, that's a big one. Oh, what is it, Blanche?
1: A five-gallon can of lighter fluid.
2: Well, that's fine. That's just what I need. I don't even own a lighter.
1: Well, don't feel too bad, John. Maybe you can exchange it for something else.
2: Last year, he sent me a bowling ball case. He must get these things in a rummage sale. I never heard of such presents.
1: Here's one for me, from Louise Shaw.
2: She bet that's a dilly.
1: Oh, Louise always sends something nice. Not expensive, but it usually comes in handy. Wow, look at that. What is it? It's a Polo score pad. Isn't that nice?
2: That'll sure come in handy. Honest Blanche, you've got the weirdest collection of friends. Is there anything else?
1: Just our presents to each other. Why don't you look at what I got you first and then you can show me what you got me. Now. Close your eyes. I'll unveil it.
2: Oh, all right. I hope you didn't spend too much, dear. I don't really want anything.
1: Open your eyes,
2: Blanche. Oh, Blanche, darling. That way, that's beautiful. That's a dream—a portable bar with a brass rail.
1: Don't you think a kiss is in order, John?
2: Oh, a million kisses.
1: Well, stop <laughs> kissing the bar. I meant a kiss for me.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, darling. It's—it's it's just too good to be true. Oh, you're wonderful, uh, Blanche. That must have cost a fortune.
1: Now, John, don't get angry. But I sold my fur coat.
2: You you sold your fur coat?
1: I wanted you to have the bar and. I didn't have the money.
2: You sold your coat? That beautiful fur coat that you bought yourself for my birthday? That gorgeous bald mink?
1: I got $75 for it. The bar cost $85.
2: Oh, Blanche, you never should have sold that bald mink.
1: It doesn't matter. I have a cloth coat, and I never get cold.
2: Yeah, but you don't understand. Um, Open the present I got for you.
1: I can't wait, John. Oh, a muff! A her muff
2: genuine plucked skunk. I had it made special to match that coat. It can hold two full quarts and you sold the coat.
1: Oh, well, what's the difference darling? Some day you'll make a lot of money. And then you'll be able to get a coat that'll match the muff. I'm very happy, John.
2: I know, but... uh, And you
1: still have the gorgeous bar.
2: That's just it.
1: What's the matter? I
2: sold all my bourbon to pay for the muff. That's great, isn't it? What a break for both of us.
1: I think it's wonderful, John.
2: What do you mean, Blanche?
1: I've never been so happy in my life. We've both made a sacrifice... And that's worth more than all the gold and precious jewels in the world. Just to know that you gave up a prized possession is proof enough that you love me.
2: I've always loved you, Blanche. I may holler and rant and act like a first-class crumb sometimes, but you never doubted that I loved you, did you?
1: No, John.
2: It's been seven years, honey, most of it uphill. I haven't showered you with diamonds or bought any yachts, but I try not to deny you anything. I suppose you have your little faults, what woman hasn't, or what man either, for that matter. We're both pretty sensitive people, maybe that's why we beef so much. Still, I don't think we're any worse than any other married couple. At least we have a safety valve, and we can let off steam. Some of the others just carry it inside until the break comes. No, Blanche, I like it this way, and I love you more than anything on earth.
1: John.
2: Hey, hey, cut that out. I'll prove how much I love you. Where is that liver or rice pudding or whatever it is you made?
1: <laughs> it's liver.
2: I'll eat every bit of it if it kills me. Let's go.
1: Merry Christmas, darling.
2: Merry Christmas.
1: Good night, John.